Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Daily Bible Soup. I'm your host, Nate Wilcutt, and I'm excited to get into our verses today. God bless you, and thank you for tuning in. Today, we're going to be going over the text of Titus, the letter written to Titus, um, and uh, we're going to tackle the first chapter today. So, if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. If not, just listen. Either way, let's get through this. Chapters uh, 1, 2, and 3 are all that exist in Titus, and it's a smaller book, but uh, it's a good book, and just like anything, it's in the Bible. So let's start with chapter 1 today. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Isn't it good to know God can't lie to us? But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of our God, our Savior. To Titus, my own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Christians are always liars, evil be- beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. The thing I like about this chapter, as we read, we see the strictness of God. Now, don't get confused and think that God isn't loving, because He is loving, that's for sure. But God does have a standard that we are to live by. And though we can't be perfect, We need to be excellent. We need to be people that do the best that we can with what we have at our disposal, especially in this chapter. We'll notice in this book that they're picking on leaders because to whom much is given, much is required. To be a leader in God's church, you need to be exemplary in everything that you do. You need to give a good example. You need to be a person that is willing to sacrifice sin even on a maximum scale, so that others can see your desire for God. 
And you don't give them up just to say, look at me, I'm greater than you, right? Or I can do greater things. You do them because you love the Lord. Um, everyone needs to give up sin on a big scale. But I'm just going to tell you from personal experience as a pastor, people are looking at you even more critically. And we're all Christians, but sometimes I think we use it as an excuse to say nobody's perfect. We shouldn't say, oh, well, you know, when you fall short and you, you mess up, it's different to say things like that. But habitual sin is a problem, and it's something that you shouldn't engage in, even more so to those that are given congregations of people they're supposed to shepherd. Now, I have things in my life I'm working on. You know, I'm overweight, and, you know, <laughs> that's a problem. How can I preach on self-control when I can't control myself? You understand? And I'm oh, I'm very transparent about those things, and I tell my congregation, hey, you know, I'm working on some stuff, and I truly am. In fact, I have a great church who decided to help out, and they joined in on a weight loss program, and, um, you know, they're jumping in on it. <laughs> that's awesome to me. Um, that's how, what we should do is hold each other accountable and help one another, um, and that's doing it in love. There was a problem. It was addressed, and now we're all working on it. And so as a leader, I want to be a good example, and that's what this is talking about. When you have elders, leaders, bishops, overseers, pastors, however you want to put it, anyone that holds a leadership position in a church is held accountable to a higher calling uh, in life. Now, we're not better than anybody, but a deacon, an elder, a bishop, a pastor, right? They're giving titles to shepherd people. So with that calling comes greater responsibility. That's just how it is. Um, nobody's perfect, like I said, but we're required to be excellent in all that we do. And if you're given the title of pastor, deacon, elder, bishop, however you want to call it, overseer, presbyter, whatever leadership position your church offers, if you're giving that title, if, you're, if you've been given that title, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. You need to do your best to excel in that position by doing your best for God. And you won't wake up every day motivated. So you have to get into that place where you will be motivated, where you will strive to be better. You will strive to do better, right? It's just a part of it. It says in verse 9, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Part of being a leader is living the exemplary life, but another thing is to be well-versed in the word. Um, and having a good doctrine. Um, and I know there's several different denominations that will listen to this, and we can agree to disagree on a lot of things, but we should all agree that the core of the gospel, Jesus crucified, died, uh, and buried, resurrected, for us is the core of the gospel. That's the gospel message. And that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not one of many gods. He's only, he is one. He is the door. He is the only way. Um, if we all can agree on that, we have the good common ground. So whatever issue, other beliefs come in part with that, de depending on whatever denomination you're in, you should have at least the core of the gospel, the sound doctrine of it, to be able to teach the proper way um, that, that we find Christ, to teach the proper way of the gospel, um, to help people, and to be able to teach them and lead them in a proper direction as a Christian should walk. Now, like I said, there's other secondary issues uh, that people hash out between their churches. But even so, if you have a title of leadership in that church, you should be able to help lead people in the right directions. Um, 
And if we all have the heart for Christ, we'll ultimately be leading people in the right direction, despite our doctrinal differences. And so part of being a good Christian in general is knowing the Bible and uh, and helping people, discipling people. Um, but in these leadership positions, we should be always ready in season and out of season to be able to exhort people and to be able to convince people when they are, in this case, it says gainsayers. Uh, let's let's say that and let's say sinners as well, be able to convince people um, that are living in sin, that are doing the wrong things to get back on the right track. And the only way that you can do that is to at least have the core of the gospel, but to be well-versed in scripture, to be able to pull from it and to show them where their faults are. Um, the Bible says here uh, in Titus that Paul's writing to him and he's telling him it's okay to bring correction, and it's okay to be picky on who you give titles to. Not everybody's called to be an elder. Not everybody's called to be a deacon. Not everybody's called to be a pastor, right? And the way that we can hash that out, a lot of it is to be strict with Scripture and to follow what the Bible says. If we don't, we kind of open up the door to disaster. If you give someone a leadership position, but they can't even lead their own home, you know, if their whole home's in discord, and I understand there's certain exceptions when things happen that are out of your control. But, you know, if you see a husband that's mentally abusive to his wife and his kids, he probably doesn't need to be in charge of a congregation, does he? Um, and in, and we see here in verse 12, it says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Christians are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. This witness is true, verse 13. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Rebuke them sharply. See, there's this common theme in a lot of New Age churches that says, you know, judge not lest you be judged, right? And they're taking that way out of context because right after, uh, you know, if we go in, in the Bible and we look where Jesus uh, told the woman, right? You know, he told it whenever the woman in adult, caught in adultery was drug at his feet, uh, he told everybody, you know, whoever has sin cast the first stone, you know, and they left. Um, and then everybody kind of leaves it with that and see Jesus, you know, it's not about that. We're all sinners. He forgives everything. But then afterward, he told her to go forth and sin no more. You know, the, there, we all have to make a judgment over what's bad and what's good. You do it every day you get up. When the Bible says that we shouldn't judge, it's not saying, um, don't judge righteously. The Bible says to judge righteously. It just tells us we need to take the speck out of our, uh, out of, or the log out of our eye before we move the speck out of someone else's. It's telling us that don't be hypocrites. If you've got problems in your life, be willing to deal with those things because the manner you're going to judge by is how you'll be judged. You know, you have to take care of your own problems before you can fix everybody else's. And sometimes you can't fix everything 100%, but what, what the Bible is trying to instruct us there is don't be condescending and haughty above others. Be transparent you know, and work on your own issues so that when you correct other people, you know, you're not coming from a place of judgment, thinking you're better than them. You're coming from a place of humility saying, I love you enough. I just want to help. Right. So you can correct other people and you can claim it says right here, rebuke them sharply. It's not always going to be pleasant, but as Christians, we're not called to be doormats. I say that often. It's OK to be strict because the Bible's strict. Now, there's too far where you're telling people that a certain pair of pants makes them hellbound, you know, like we don't want to go that far. Obviously that's a little bit pharisaical, but if someone's living in sin, they're living in fornication, they're living in homosexuality, they're living that, you know, they're, they're living in a, a place of compulsive lying. Um, 
Right. Those things have to be corrected. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And if we come at it in a loving way, it changes everything. Um, some people like to do it from an evil side of things. They just like to be gritty and watch people squirm. And that's not a good place to be either. Um, that makes you sinful. <laughs> so it says in verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and under every good work reprobate. Um, in this context, you know, part of what Titus is going to have problems with are those of the circumcision, as it said in the scripture, which are Jewish people that were still trying to be legalistic and be Christians in the same breath. They were telling people they had to be circumcised. Um, they had to, you know, just giving you a background of what people had to deal with. They were still trying to tell them, be burdened by the law and do all these things um, as well as following Christ. And that's not what it was about. And so some of these people were so legalistic they thought by their good works they were being saved, and that's not what it's about. Um, you can tell, and, and because the way that even though they were doing things, um, their heart wasn't right. They weren't in the right place because that, that's what it means in verse 16. They profess that they know God, right? They can tell it like it is, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and every good work reprobate. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is how this is going to work. When you are a born-again Christian, you live to please God, and you want to try to do things that please Him, not because those things save you. It's because you you have a new conviction in your life, and you'll be able to tell others by their conviction. Some of the Jewish people might have talked the talk in a way and sort of you know walked the walk, so to speak, um, but a lot of them thought, thought that their workspace, they're still trying to bring a workspace kind of thing in where you still had to do all this stuff to be right. And that's not true. And then on the flip side of it, there were people that said they knew God, but then their works didn't show anything. See, those are two extremes, but you have to meet in the middle. If you are a born again believer, you're saved unto good works. You like to do those things because it pleases God, not because they save you. The grace of Jesus is what saves you. And so you'll see a Christian doing things to please God. And if their fruit isn't showing, right, even if they say I'm a Christian and I go to church and I do whatever and I pay tithes or however, you know, if it doesn't matter what they say, if their lifestyle isn't matching what it is that they're saying, if your life is lived out where there's no godliness in it, that more than likely means there's no conviction in your life. And without any conviction, toward following what scripture says, that leads me to believe the Holy Spirit's not present in your life. You know, it doesn't matter what you say, and to a degree, it doesn't matter what you do if it's not done from the right place. You know, there's a lot of people that say and do good things, but they're godless at the core of it all. You know, they may go to church, but they're fornicating. They may go to church, but they're blasphemers in the background of things, right? Um, they just go for power. They just go for a social outlet, right? Um, but a good, uh, the mark of a good Christian is someone that lives with conviction, and you can tell lives their life to be excellent, that tries their best to follow what Scripture says, not because they're afraid of God kicking them out of heaven. It's just because they're compelled to, because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. You see, it's not hard, because if you're born again, you got the you know what I'm talking about. But if it's like pulling teeth for you to do the simple things of Scripture, to love your neighbor um, you know, to basically don't be a jerk <laughs> to, uh, 
to want to be in God's house with, with God's people, uh, to want to give to your church, to want to, uh, uh, you know, um, not lie to, to not want to steal. So like if you're a born again, Christian, you'll be convicted for those things. And maybe pulling teeth wasn't a good example. Let me say it like this. You know, if you can get by with doing those things and not feel bad for them, like lying and stealing and cheating, if you don't have conviction for those things, then you don't have the Holy Spirit present in your life. Now, if you do have conviction, it'll drive you to want to do better than those things um, because you'll the conviction feels horrible, but it's God chastening the people he loves, his children, to do better because he calls them to do better. Um Marriage is a very significant thing in this text. He's saying that somebody that's given a place of position doesn't need to be a polygamist, doesn't need to be somebody that plays around on his wife, right? It needs to be somebody that is dedicated to their spouse and that they raise their kids in the way they should go. Now, sometimes you're going to have an exception where kids are running rampant and it's not the parent's fault. You know, they're doing the best they can. Things happen, but to a degree, you know, I don't want somebody pastoring my church if their kid is, you know, eight years old running around trying to burn houses down and whatever, and the parents aren't even discipline, disciplining them. Um, that's a problem with today. See, we it's even got to that point where parents don't discipline their children anymore because they're afraid of, you know, either the child or what people think. And, you know, the Bible tells us that if we spare the rod, we hate the child. Um, I'm not telling you that you got to go out and beat your kid to death, but there needs to be some strict discipline when it comes to raising your child. If you pay for them, you, you they live in your house, right? You take care of them. They need to abide by your rules. When they're 18 and they want to fly solo, let them fly solo. But as a leader, both as in your home, men, even if you're a pastor, you're a leader in your home first. But then outside of that, you know, how can you lead a congregation of people if you're not managing your house the right way? That's just how the Bible is. Some people won't like that, but that's just how it is. And that's what the Bible says. The home is the church at its core. It starts in the home and then it comes together in the house of God. And so parents can raise, it's just like how you can preach to people your entire life, but unless they're actually putting those things inside their home and trying to live by them inside their home, right? If they're not implementing those things, you know, it does no good. It has to be carried from the church to the house. And if it starts in the home, like, hey, we're going to church, hey, we're going to serve the Lord, as for me and my house, right? If it starts in the home, right, and we raise kids the right way, you know, it helps build leaders to go to the church. That's how it works. When when kids are taught the right way and they grow up in the way that they should go and they're being taught the right things from Scripture, you know, it prepares leaders for the next generation. Um, and I don't know about you, but as I look out into the society today, a lot of young people are avoiding Christianity. A lot of them are starting to, to walk away from it because they're being influenced elsewhere because they're not getting what they need uh, in their home life. They're not, it's not being taught enough. It's not being practiced enough. And so, um, but today, let's take away that being a leader is important. Um, to whom much is given, much is required. Paul is writing some pretty uh, stout stuff here about what a believer should be like. Um, and if you're going to be a leader, you definitely have to be following these things. And so if you have a calling on your life to be a leader, evaluate yourself by the scriptures. Now, it's not always going to feel good 
But you need to look at those things and see if you're following them. Because, hey, the closer we walk to what the scriptures say, and by the way, after you read these things, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you should be convicted to go by these things. So the closer you walk to scripture, the better off you are. And so thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you were blessed. Um, And tomorrow we'll get into uh, Titus chapter number two. God bless you.